This is Mako President Jerry Walker, and you're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Mako's Policy Associate Kevin Canale here, joined as always by my co-host, Mako's Executive Director Michael Sanderson. Hey, Kevin. Today we are going to discuss sunshine laws. We'll get into attorney's fees. We'll talk about the Board of Public Works approving a new text to 911 system in Maryland. Then we will get into a roundup of what's happening in Annapolis, including our Lift for Maryland initiative. We'll talk about the Forest Conservation Act, some septic issues, and we will talk finally about beer wars, which is happens to be today when we're recording. It's a big Friday here in Annapolis. No fooling. So, Michael, let's first get into sunshine laws. Um, we're talking about Maryland's Public Information Act. Mako has been at the table for many years now saying that we need to update the PIA, that you know there are new technologies that the PIA is not really designed to address, and we had hearings on the bill this week. Right. So this is, this is a pretty big deal for governments at every level, and our Public Information Act is sort of the equivalent of the Freedom of Information Act at the federal level. People are more familiar with that phrase. Mm-hmm. But um, in general, there's a policy issue. You want to say that that documents and information in the hands of the government, we're really just the custodian for those documents on behalf of the public. Someone knocks on the door and says, I want a copy or I want to see it. The, the default law is and should be citizens have a right to see public documents. Right. But the, P, the PIA, or, you know, as you say, the Freedom of Information Act is more a term that more people understand. It was really developed for paper documents, and it's not really configured to handle media, which is interesting because we have a, a broad PIA bill, but there's also a next generation 911 issue here that we have a bill introduced that is anticipating next generation 911 and as we've talked about here before you'll be able to send media to 911 and the question is how do you handle that media and who should be able to see it right and this is a much trickier issue i mean you know today's 911 call center by and large takes phone calls mm-hmm. so you have audio tapes and and we we've all seen these from time to time if there's a, if there's something a high profile event sometimes the tape gets released and a person's making a call and you know, she's describing what's happening what she's seeing and that sort of thing um, and, and you know, by and large, there's a public interest in in, in you know, knowing those kind of circumstances. But think how much trickier this gets if the person is sending you know video of here's where I am. I'm hiding in my home, or I, I'm going to I'm going to send the layout of the building I'm in, right. and here's where the bad person is right now. I mean, the idea of sharing detail like that, that's either invasive or, I mean, heaven forbid, like grisly. Right. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think there's a public interest in seeing the blood and gore, right? Absolutely. I mean, some people may think so, but the, the people who are sending this media, obviously, this is sensitive information and it should be protected. So anticipating next-gen 911, 
there, there was a bill introduced that would address the issues that Michael's talking about here. Uh, if there's an, uh, an issue where uh, someone is, is, is a victim of sexual assault and there's, a, you know, there's, there's video that would uh, jeopardize their privacy or infringe on their privacy, that would obviously uh, be barred from being released. And, and you also are dealing with inside of people's homes, personal identifiable information, things like that that we really shouldn't be releasing. And I think that this is really, really uh, well thought out and it's thinking ahead into the technology that we're going to see down the line. I think it's 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 good to address this beforehand. Yeah, I mean we're we're in the information age, and some of our laws aren't there yet. So uh, I, I would say the the bill hearing in the Senate committee was earlier this week, and I think the hearing does a number of things. I mean, for the, for the most part, this is the public's opportunity to give their comments and their perspective on on something, and so the the senators in this case could could hear that and and use that to inform the way they want to vote on something. For stakeholders like us, it's also our chance to get a read for how this issue is going to be received by someone who might have not might not have thought about this before. Right? They're right. they're not they're not all listening to the podcast, unfortunately. So unfortunately. they, <laughs> but uh, so I, I, I my takeaway is that issue landed pretty well. And I think the senators understood what we're talking about and understood that this kind of information is different than your conventional, oh, you know, I want to see the plat for the for the for the subdivision down the road from me. Mm-hmm. This is a really different kind of information. It's really sensitive. So yeah. before we move on, there's one more piece to the the more broad um, Sunshine Law bill that we have. And that is you know, when people sign up for government newsletters and news alerts and, and you're, you're getting news alerts for weather or your kid's school is going to be closed, right. we get, you know, this is passive citizen engagement with local governments. Unfortunately, uh, there are some folks who are trying to take advantage of those email lists and filing um, requests to get all that information. So they want, you know, the whole the list of everybody who signed up, all the emails, all the right. contact information, and we've had issues where that's happened, and and there's really some ambiguity on whether or not a local government needs to turn that information over. I just think think of this. This is like a a marketing gold mine, it right? Is, I mean, yes. the, the government says sign up for this if you're in, in, interested in what's going on in your local government. Sign up here, and we'll just send you the updates. And people do, and now it's in a database, and nominally that's a public document. But if you're in the dark money political business or you're trying to do micro-targeting mm-hmm. to people who have a political interest in A, B, or C, how great would it be to just knock on the door and you get this prepackaged list of potential victims for whatever you want to you know, shoot to them? Um, ordinarily, I mean, I, I've been on tons of websites where, where there's a little box that says, yep. we promise we're not going to share your personal information. This is just so we can tell you when you need a new oil change, right? Right. I, and I, I, I click that box. I'm like, yeah, I don't want I, I don't want to be, you know, have everybody beating on my door about car stuff. Governments right now can't do that because that list of people is, the courts more or less have said, that's a public document. we got to share with anybody who asks. Yeah, so you got people knocking on the door saying, I want a flash drive with all that information. And unfortunately, again, this is why we needed to put this in the bill. I think that issue was received very well. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't see anyone having an issue with that. I think most people thought that you couldn't do that. Um, and and I, I think the bottom line is the last thing people expect from their local government is for them to be giving out information so that they can be spammed. Uh, and, and I think when people realized that the potential for that was there, 
they were shocked. And, and I think that that yeah. piece is a done deal. I, I, I think so, too. There, I mean, there's one bill that has just that sort of loophole closer, and, and that bill's already moving. Oh, I, yeah. think, I think that's done. It, that, 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 um, that component is also in the broader bill that MAKO's taken on as our initiative bill. Uh, it deals with some other issues, too. Probably the, the most conspicuous among them is footage from body-worn cameras, police officers or other you know, government employees capturing footage from from a body cam and it's these the same issues of invasive information you know police officers are out and they're talking to victims they're talking to children they're in people's homes and there's a lot on there that you, know, you don't want to be in a limbo where you feel like you have to give away information that that shows you know well we're in this person's house and now it's a public document that shows what they had for breakfast and what they've been reading and mm-hmm. what they've been doing or you know pictures of kids or you know just there's a lot of common sense here that that would say let's let's not have have someone you know again knock on the door and right. say i want it all cuz it's public and and yeah you know this is a, also i think this technology is ever evolving so you know right now we're talking about police officers first responders you know wearing these body worn cameras but we have drones we have robots you might want to put uh, body cameras on your land surveyors anybody who you know acting in the public interest who is in the public has the potential to wear these sort of devices so again looking ahead this is going to be even more prevalent uh, moving forward, and I think it's time that we address this issue right now. Yeah, I think it's you know this is this is how public policy is supposed to work. You, you these these laws were written perfectly well for pieces of paper, and we've you know bickered around the margins about the laws how they apply to paper. But as a practical matter, paper is not really the issue right now. It's footage, it's documents, and things like it's that. It's a whole so, new yep. world. Yep. It's a whole new world. All right, so let's get into now uh, attorney's fees. And if you have been around MAKO for the past several years or you have listened or read or anything that we have done, you have most likely heard about attorney's fees. And, Michael, um, there was a hearing this week on the attorney's fee bill. Uh, The bill is titled Access to Maryland Courts Act. So what you were there. I know you actually testified. Uh, what was your sense of the hearing? And, and we can get into what we're talking about a little bit here, but the hearing this week, I mean, what was the big, the big the takeaway from that hearing? Well, I, I think the, the, the principal takeaway from this issue is we, we sort of have a case where the, the two principal parties are – advocates for, you know, they call it the access to the courts or access to justice. There are proponents, their best argument is there are people out there who, who may have a claim that the government is denying them a constitutional right the, mm-hmm. uh, to, to speak or to assemble or to vote or some other things like that that are guaranteed in the U.S. Constitution, the Maryland Constitution, our Declaration of Rights, that sort of thing. And they have trouble getting representation. They can't get a lawyer because their their case is not about money. Right. And you know the conventional the conventional circumstance for a plaintiff's attorney is they work on a contingency fee and they get, you know, a third of, of whatever ultimate settlement or judgment happens. But what if all you're asking for is I want to be able to have my parade on this street on this day and you're saying no and that's not fair. There's no money in it. You're just trying to get the permit. Right. And, and I think that that provision of the bill, 
you know, getting someone access to an attorney in that circumstance, I think we can agree is a good thing. And that's not really what we have an issue with here. This yeah. goes way beyond the right. little guy. Right? So, so this is this is a an, an interesting case where that core argument really lands with mm-hmm. a lot of legislators, and a lot of legislators have voted for this bill, saying, "I'm really worried about." I mean, some one of the proponents said it perfectly. This is just the guy on the street. Yep. Okay, all right. So we 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 get that. The fact of the matter is that we had a dozen people in town, mostly practitioners in local government law offices. Boots on the ground. Yeah, yeah. And and they're walking through. These are the kind of cases we actually get. And what the legislation would do in the name of saying, let's do fee shifting, that if you win that case about your parade permit – the, the attorney can get his or her fees compensated, you know, if the judge can allow that. Okay, th- th- this idea of fee shifting has been around in other places. At its simplest level, okay, that sounds like it might be okay, but boy, this, this bill goes way farther than just the poor person who's got a non-money case who can't get representation. Right, and it, and it doesn't even stop with people, right? It would also right. allow corporations to sue local governments and, tr- and try and, um, and get the attorney's fees. I mean, if, if, if the little guy is, is what the intent of the bill is and, and worrying about you know those circumstances that we spoke about earlier, I think that's a separate issue. This, yeah. this just opens the bill up. It's so broad here. Um, you know, there there's no equivalencies with the federal protections at the federal level. We won't right. get into that. It's it's deep. Yeah. But but you know, I think this is this is something that has been a fight for many years. And I know Les Knapp has worked you know diligently with all the stakeholders here, and he's been at the table. And I think they've been able to work out some of these issues. But there are a few sticking points that I think you know, are just way beyond what, what the intent of this bill is. And when you start really digging deep, you, you start to see that this is a big liability for us. And, and, and one thing that I, I think, I think you're right that we don't want to get too, too in the weeds on this issue. But I mean, let, let me let me talk through one of the things that got brought up, particularly in the hearing in the House Judiciary Committee. It's a committee that's passed this bill in various forms multiple times. But you have proponents who make an argument, and I think this is a, a reasonable partial argument, which is it, attorneys' fees, as they rack up, make the case more expensive, and therefore there's now an incentive on the government to settle a case quickly. So I come to you and say, <laughs> I want to settle the case today, right? And, and you say, nah, you're an attorney. You say, no, 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 I'm going to let this roll a little longer. Well, that's the flip side. That's right. what we're worried about. So, right. So the proponent argument is – by creating the eligibility that the you know that the the government may have to pay the attorney's fees that's going to make the government settle these cases quickly the the flip side is exactly what you're saying right. and that is now that an, a lawyer knows that the attorney's fees are a component what we end up seeing and our 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 lawyers were really good at laying this out we see the case becomes about the attorney's fees there there was there's a case in a Maryland county where there was no contesting whether the county was wrong. They made a mistake. They thought someone was on private property. It turns on they were on public property. The county immediately said, yes, we were wrong. We shouldn't have done that. We shouldn't have made you move. A judgment for $1, and that netted a request for $100,000 in attorney's fees in federal court. They ended up getting $45,000 in attorney's fees. That case was about the attorney's fees. Right, right. <laughs> and, and, and absolutely, there's no other way to put it. Um, so I was playing devil's advocate there. So one of the federal protections is called offer of judgment. So 
uh, if, if I come to you as the local government and say, look, we want to go ahead and settle, and you say no, and you drag it out and you drag it out, um, if you receive a judgment is, that is equal or less to the offer that right. I made, right. then the attorney's fees stop at the point where I made that offer. Yeah, you shouldn't be able to just keep dribbling the ball and let the clock run and let the hours built, you know, rack up. Right. So, I mean, the federal law has a provision like that, and proponents for the bill are not comfortable with that idea being in the state law. And, I mean, that ends up being one of those sort of line-in-the-sand sort of issues for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and that's, I mean, that's fundamental to the local government aggressive opposition to the bill is it's not anywhere near a truly level playing field. Right. So. This is not parody. And yeah. this, this it, it could definitely incentivize more people to go after the deep pockets, which are local governments. Right. And, uh, you know, with with saying that, you know, I'm trying to represent the little guy here, but running out the clock, dribbling the ball, yeah. racking up the fees. And I'm not saying everyone would do that, but there are certainly bad actors out there who could try and take advantage. And that's why it's so important for us to fight this issue. That's why we've been yeah. fighting this issue for multiple years. I mean, if we end up committing a ton more money to hire lawyers and make settlements, and then all the new cases that'll pop up because attorney's fees are present, mm-hmm. we'll see nuisance value lawsuits that have some tiny degree of merit. Mm-hmm. They're asking asking for some kind of injunctive relief or some bag of money, but ultimately it ends up being because I want to get $50,000 in attorney's fees. If we have to settle all these things for $5,000 just to say we can't afford to pay for this thing to go into discovery and depositions mm-hmm. and so forth, that that's now an incentive. Start filing because yeah. you can get a $5,000 settlement for, you know, for a day's work. All day long. Right, right. Yeah. All right, so this is a, a contentious issue. Last year, this bill uh, made it to the Senate floor, and Mako was able to fight it off uh, on the floor. Um, this is going to be an ongoing issue this session. Please stay tuned. We will be calling on our folks to come down and help us uh, with this bill, of course. We're going to go ahead and take a break. After the break, we're going to get into text to 911, a new announcement and approval by the Board of Public Works this week to... Uh, install a system in Maryland. We'll get into some issue updates on stuff that we think is relevant here in Annapolis. And then we will get into beer wars. Again, this is a very relevant issue today. Oh, yeah. All that and more after the break. Welcome back. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. And Michael, let's talk about text to 911. And uh, there was a announcement this week that the Board of Public Works here in Maryland approved a two-year contract for around $2.4 million to install a statewide text to 911 system. In, in Frederick County, they have had text to 911. They were the pilot program. You have the mm-hmm. School for the Deaf in Frederick County. So they were the ideal location to pilot this program. And now we're seeing this expanded statewide. Right. And I mean, I don't think there's anything more emblematic of what local governments are about than 911. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is the most direct and most urgent connection between government, 
government services and their citizens. In your time of need, you know you can count on 911. And this is sort of like what we were talking about with, with the Sunshine Laws. This is another area where we need to catch up with emerging technologies. And so uh, the, the day of the announcement was actually perfect because it coincided with our hearing for our Next Generation 911 initiative, which if you've heard the podcast, we've talked about that before, but it's really about updating 911 uh, to be able to send things like text and photos and videos and better location accuracy. We're really we're, we're working with technology that is way outdated, uh, and so we need to make these upgrades. So we're pushing that bill, but this announcement was on the same day. And during the hearing, some of the delegates said, well, what about today? Isn't text to 911, isn't that what you're trying to do here? And the answer is no. Well, it, it, and the answer is not all, that's, not that, that's sort of the tip of the iceberg, right? right? This is it's one component. And it's, it's an easy thing to understand. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you certainly can have sympathy for someone's in distress, they're hiding, they're in danger, they don't want to reveal their location, and the last thing they want to do is pick up the phone and start talking someone through, you know, talk, right. to, talk a dispatcher through, I'm, it, I'm at this exact location and I'm hiding in the linen closet. Right. <laughs> so, you know, so the idea of doing something quick and discreetly could save a life. Yeah, and you've heard the horror stories and, and, you know, these terrible stories where someone couldn't make the call, but they could have texted. So that's one component of what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have said no, yeah. but that's one component of this, of Next Generation 911. This is a good start. It, you're right, it's the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. And and a big part of what, what is in Mako's bill is to bring together all the players mm-hmm. to sort the technology, the purchasing, uh, integration with, like, GIS systems, um, all those sorts of things. I mean, you know, having jurisdictions serve as overflows for one another. Right. If a if a call center goes down, have a way that those those calls get rerouted. Uh, you know, like you said, better location technology mm-hmm. so we can make sure your call gets to the right jurisdiction. And if you're in an office building, we can find what floor you're on. Exactly. You know, I mean, that, there's there's a number of things like that that citizens deserve. We owe it to them to deliver it and bringing both our call center managers and the other stakeholders who know about the technology and know about these services, bring everybody together for a couple of years and sort of fill out the rest of Maryland's plan. There's a lot to figure out. Um, the, the good news is we have no opposition to the bill. There's no fiscal impact. The ultimate goal here is to make sure that all boats rise together so that yeah. you have the same capabilities in Garrett County as you do in Worcester County. So if you're driving across the state and you're 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 interacting with 911, you, you can do it the same way across the state. It's very important that we all rise together here, and, and it's not done piecemeal across the state. So I think the, 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 there's real, real room for optimism here. Not just is this an idea that makes a lot of sense, but it, it, it's also the approach of this being collaboration across the state right. really resonates, and I that's think so. that, that's good. That's what we want. We don't we don't want to have this be haves and have nots. Right. Um, so at, at this point, I mean, if, you're, if we're trying to forecast what's going on with this issue, I, I think the the Mako bill we're we're basically negotiating over the shape of the table. The Senate has passed our bill. The House had their hearing. It was a good, productive, positive hearing. Mm-hmm. I think that's all. All that's left to sort out is exactly who sits on the commission, and you know, do you have to you know tweak the charge or any of those sorts of things? But I, I, I'd be really surprised if that bill doesn't pass the House and become law. Yeah, I think there, there's a few components that need to be worked out, but the, the general concept seems to uh, be really popular and resonate with with all the legislators on both sides. So I'm, I'm optimistic as well. And and you know, 
delegate Michael Jackson as the as the sponsor in the house this year, uh, that's that's helped us a great deal. He's he's a, he's got a background as a sheriff. Um, he works in Homeland Security. He, this, <laughs> this is exactly his bag. Yeah, it so. is. And Senator Kagan on the, and the, on the Senate side, <laughs> she has been an advocate for this issue for many years. She had a couple constituents actually uh, die because they weren't able to get a hold of 911. So on the Senate side, she's very passionate, and she has been taking her fellow senators and delegates to the local 911 call centers in their districts and showing them what this is about and really ginned up interest. But be, be, that's the dream team for us, so yeah, Delegate Jackson so. and Senator Kagan. So we are very optimistic, and uh, and this announcement and the BPW's approval this week definitely uh, sends us in the right direction, but it's just one component, and there's a lot of work to do. Yeah. So, Michael, now let's just get into a general roundup, sort of, uh, uh, you know, a grab bag of, of what's going on, interesting stuff that, that we have seen this past week in Annapolis. What's going on with the governor's septic bill? I know we thought this year, an election year, it might be time to do something with septics, but apparently not. Apparently not. Um, this is this is something that Mako spent some time trying to sort out what we would think. The governor put in a proposal, make make several different changes to the use of the the bay restoration fee and what do we use money that comes from septic users for um, things like pump outs and and how much money goes to cover crops and how much money goes to helping with system upgrades. A handful of different things in in the bill and. Uh, you know, it was, it was a tough read. In election year, it's tough to know what issues are going to get traction. We thought this might be a debate that would linger through the session. Uh, Senate killed the bill. <laughs> and and for our listeners who may not be aware, when the Senate kills a bill, uh, it, it, it means that the House is not likely to have an appetite to really work the bill uh, because then they'll just send it back to the Senate and they'll kill it again. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, the only way you know, we did our, our whatever, you know, session 101 right. back in back in January, I think. And, you know, the uh, just for something to become law, you have to have the House and the Senate both have to pass the same bill in an identical form and send it to the governor to be signed. So if the Senate has already said we've got no appetite for this issue, I mean, the likelihood of them even taking up for much consideration, even if the House amended the bill, changed it up a little bit here or there, right. once, once it's dead, that issue is probably dead. So that will most likely be the end of that bill for at least the 2018 session. Yeah. So there, <clears throat> there is still legislation alive in the House about – how what's what's the geography for the best available technology mm-hmm. mandate? And this has been a back and forth uh, for 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 a number of years. There was there were regulations saying all new homes or all substantial improvements on septics had to have a best available technology septic system. The, the bat they call them. Mm-hmm. Um, that <clears throat> when when Governor Hogan rolled that back and left it back in the statute as only in the critical area, basically a thousand feet from tidal waters. Uh, that's where the law sits now. There's still legislation in to expand that geography and have it basically go upstream on any of the watersheds that are impaired for nitrogen. Uh, but that ends up affecting a big, big swath of the state. So that, that bill's still sitting out there. Um, tough Again, tough read in election year. So right. it's not that everything with septics is over. There's also uh, legislation to provide some tax credit assistance for for people who are obliged to to, to put the, the best available technology up. They're expensive systems, mm-hmm. so the state might come to your aid and pony up some of the money to help with that. So, yeah, so obviously the, the septics issue as a whole is not dead, but I think that particular bill, we can, we can put it to bed. Yep. 
All right, so Forest Conservation Act. This is another hot topic here in Annapolis. You hear a lot of people talking about this. Uh, what's your read here? Uh, I know I was talking with Les about this. There's a lot of moving parts to this bill, a lot of back and forth. But what's your read this week on on what you've seen and heard? Well, I mean, we, we, we keep going back to the well saying election year. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that tends to happen is in an election year, your significant stakeholders in the policy process – they tend to have asks. I mean, you know, we're we're out here talking about highway user revenue, local infrastructure, our nine one one systems, school construction. We have our list of asks. And we're we're stakeholders like like a lot of others. Uh, a, a number of an, stakeholders in the environmental community are focusing on our laws that govern when you cut down a tree. What do you have to do? Right. And and we you know we don't want to get too deep into the into the substance of that. But where does it apply? How aggressive are those restrictions? And um, the, the idea of taking our Forest Conservation Act and putting basically putting some more teeth into it, um, defining some areas as priority preservation and so forth is is the gist of the bill. Um, there's a, a lot of moving parts here, like you mentioned, and this is political back and forth. Uh, there was a hearing this week that again sort of framed the issue, but this was this is not a hearing where you walk away saying this bill's a done deal, yeah. it's ready to go. Uh, this is one that that needs some work. I think everybody realizes that, and part of that is a data question. Absolutely. So there there are some questions about the the data that's being used by some of the advocates for this bill, um, and I think even during the hearing that was brought up. And you know, where is this data coming from? Maybe we need some more time so that we can gather more data and make sure that we're looking at the right stuff here when we're making these really important decisions that can affect planning and smart growth big, big impacts on local government. So that data question, I think, is central to this entire issue. Right. And the other thing that's that's interesting about this, I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to be an environmentalist expert to follow. Part of the logic in this bill contradicts centerpiece ideas for sort of smart growth principles. That's, you know, the umbrella term in Maryland and lots of places for let's try to consolidate most of our development in already built up areas, downtown, let's do higher density, let's Try and focus in places that are already served by water and sewer. I mean, these are these are pretty long-standing principles, and that's there's a lot of Maryland law that gives body language or teeth saying that's the place you should be developing. The thing is, I mean, our sister organization, the Municipal League, mm-hmm. they look within their confines and they say, okay, policy says do your development downtown. So we've got a growth plan that says we need to do our, you know, we want development here. Right. And sometimes that involves cutting down trees. And now you end up with the same community who who basically brought about all these smart growth laws. And they said, let's develop downtown, except for all the places you can develop downtown. Right. And, and, and there's a space issue here, too. I mean, if you have to, you know, again, we don't want to get too deep into the bill, but if you're cutting down trees, part of this is you'd have to plant trees in certain areas. And if you're in a small municipality, you may not have the physical space to to replant trees. Yeah. So this, I mean, this ends up being a real challenge for, you know, a small town, mm-hmm. uh, for even like a built up area of a county. Sure. I mean, if, you know, in Towson and, and Columbia and some other places like that, that have all the all the same look and feel of, of incorporated municipalities, the, the idea that you did all the right things in building your long-term growth plan and yeah. you've made the right kind of accommodations and now in the name of fighting for the trees, we end up saying, no, we got to throw that whole thing out. 
Um, you, you know, it, it's, it's sort of a contradiction, and that's part of what makes this a challenging bill. Yeah, I mean, I think the intent is good, but as you said, the contradictions that, that, are, that are present, I think, make this an, an issue. And I think that data, getting the data, making sure we're looking at the right information, I think takes a little bit more time to develop here. So we'll have to see what happens here. But I think, uh, I think the intent's good, but there, there are some moving parts that need to be worked out for sure. Yep. All right, let's get into uh, another issue that people are very familiar with if you have followed Mako at all. This is uh, highway user revenues and um, our Lift for Maryland initiative, local infrastructure fast-tracked for Maryland. We have hearings coming up, and we are calling on everybody, all levels of county governments, to come down for these hearings and show support. Michael, the hearings are uh, Wednesday, March 7th in the Senate, and Friday, March 9th in the House. What can you tell us about Lift for Maryland? What's going on with all these highway user revenue bills? Well, I think the interesting thing is th- this issue has actually gained steam. In a, I mean, what tends to happen is some, you know, the, the big event happened. The shoe drops in 2009. Most of the, most of the money gets, gets sort of re-diverted away from local governments back to the state coffers. They need it for the general fund for a while. Then they take it for state transportation needs for a while. And now we're many years later uh, after legislation to restore this money every single year there have been bills in. But this year, there's just a scad of different bills, different timelines, but everybody everybody is putting in a different, you know, one bill or another, all saying, let's get this back on track. This, we're, we're not doing right by all these roads and bridges. And, I mean, yeah, you, you hate to say it, but the kind of weird weather we've been having oh. this year where you're hot and cold back and forth, gets wet, then it gets nice, that's the worst for it's roads. Bad. It's bad. I mean, anybody driving around right now, it's all over the news. It's not. This is not just us saying this, right. you know you know, telling the county line here, but this, it's on the news. People's cars are in the shop. I saw a news piece the other day where the mechanics are just cashing in. They're loving it. Yeah, yeah. they're loving it. All all these uh, repair shops. But, but this is exactly what we're talking about here when we talk about the importance of getting our highway user revenues back and, and restored to where they should be. And, and, and the, the easy message, if you're a county official, you can come to Annapolis. You don't need to be an expert on you know, the deep details of your budget, but every single county has you know, a pithy one-liner. Mm-hmm. You know, here's how many road miles we have, and here's how many dollars we get as, as the share of the state's gas tax and such that gets sent back to us. And at that rate, with what it costs to to actually you know maintain a you know repave or resurface a road mile right. you know it's gonna be like 180 years to to do all of our roads at that rate um, that that's a story that anybody can connect to yeah and in Maryland I mean we've talked about this but you know Maryland's counties own and maintain 74 percent of the public roads there are only two states in the entire country who depend on counties for a larger percentage of their roads it's Kansas and Iowa. And Hawaii is tied with Maryland at 74%. So we're up there at the top, right. but we are nowhere near where we should be with our distribution of, of those revenues to maintain the roads. Yeah, we, we got to check on Guam. I don't see what Guam, yeah. You know what? I'm gonna, they, they, they're probably at the top. We may, they, need, we may need to visit. They're very innovative. Yeah. So if you don't get the reference, go back to last week's episode. Um, I, I will say, though, the thing that Maryland is behind on, though, is there are plenty of places that have local governments do most of the maintenance of the roads and bridges. But 
almost all of them either say, here at local governments, here's your transportation revenues, you get a local gas tax or a local vehicle registration fee or something like that, or they have a big carve-out of the state revenues and they send them out through some sort of a formula. That's what everybody does. That's what Maryland did for decades. And, you know, because of a tough budget time, they end up making a bad policy decision, and we're still limping along with that. We are certainly limping along, but uh, as Michael alluded to, there is some op- uh, there's definitely optimism this year. There are a number of bills that have been introduced, and it feels like that message is finally hitting home for so many of these legislators who have heard us year after year after year talk about the importance of this issue. Okay, so we will now get into beer wars. I know you've all been waiting to hear about this. We have been teasing it throughout the episode, so... Today is a big day in Annapolis. It's going to be a big show uh, in the House, particularly. Normally, Fridays are very slow, but not today. I mean, the the typical weekly calendar. I mean, mean, legislators are part-timers. This is during the legislative session, and and they're asked an awful lot of their time. But the, the generic template weekly calendar is come in for a Monday evening session, and then you have the committees doing the bulk of their work on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You have a Friday floor session, and then most everybody heads home to the district. Um, this Friday is not going to look like the usual Friday. At least for some of the <laughs> delegates on the committees that are going to hear these uh, alcohol bills. So the big one, and the one that you will see in the news, likely on every <laughs> local news station today, uh, is it's really the comptroller. Uh, in the Economic Matters Committee with a bill that has got a lot of attention. Essentially, in Maryland, we have a three-tiered alcohol system, right? right. You have the brand owner, uh, which the brewers, for the sake of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Then you have the distributors, and then you have the retailers. And right now, um, there are limits on what brewers can brew, what they can sell if they have a tap room. And they are pretty fired up about that. There was an issue last year where Guinness came in and there, were, uh, there, there was a bill passed that changed some of the laws. Um, and a lot of brewers feel like, you know, they've been restricted and that there's no other business that limits um, production like this does. And it limits to who they can sell and if they have to buy it back from a distributor before that they can then sell it to their, the people in their tap room. Right. So the comptroller has a bill that essentially would remove all those caps and uh, let them brew what they want, sell where they want, sell directly to retailers, which Mm -hmm. is a very controversial piece of this. Um, And then you have uh, Chairman Derek Davis, who has another bill uh, that essentially would take things back to the way they were before last year's bill passed. Um, And I I think that may be a message bill, to be honest, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you want to do all this, well, I got another bill that, and it's going to be fireworks, I think, today. There are a ton of people testifying, local brewers coming to town. And uh, it's just going to be a big show. Right. And, I mean, this is one of these issues that this is not a MAKO issue. We had conversation about this topic at the MAKO Legislative Committee, but this is not something that the association is weighing in on. We have some county governments who have who have decided one way or another mm-hmm. to, to get involved, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's, a, that's fair game. But this is just one of those topics that is a big buzz. We're right. we're uh, we're um, we're uh, recording on on Friday morning, and and later today, this the this this 
town is going to be hopping. I, I, I don't know. At last count, there were well over 100 people signed up to testify in person. This isn't just like 100 people in the room who are going to stand up right. and say, hi, you know, I, I, agree, I, I agree with the panel. Right. I mean, some people do that. Mm-hmm. It's a show of force. Everybody wears their T-shirt and look at all the people in the yellow shirts. They all care about this bill. I mean, that's a, it's an effective thing to do. These people are here to talk and they're, they're going to tell talk. a story. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Again, this is really not Mako's bag, but we're we're interested in interesting policy in Annapolis, and I think this is one where I think everyone should watch and and see what happens here because you'll really this is going to be a really unique hearing, and I think uh, the residents, you know, the residents of Maryland, the, they're going to show up and. This is really democracy in action, and it's good to see so many people passionate and coming down. But just the time that this is going to take—if you have yeah. that many people—I I can't even—I don't—I can't imagine. Right. Uh, so, I mean, I, I suspect the hearing scheduled for one o'clock today. Um, yeah, if you've got a hundred or one hundred and fifty people who are going to come in and talk and tell their story, and I'm sure there'll be people, be people on, on both sides sure. of these issues, yes. with you know, with some back and forth. Sure. And and the legislators are going to have questions about the technical side. They're going to want to know about economic development. They're going to want to know about what this means for tourism and you know what does it mean for Maryland-based companies mm-hmm. versus external companies. I mean, this, this, there, there's, there's stuff to sort out here, and, and they've been into this issue last year. But I, I can tell you from experience that a big, high-profile issue like this sometimes grows tentacles and becomes the thing – that, that's sort of the center of the whole galaxy for the session. Right. And, and you, know, you'll ha- you know, you can end up with things like, well, we can't pass the budget until this other thing is done because there's too much riding on that. And, you know, once once you have, you know, flags getting planted and so forth, it's, 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 it's tough to get out of that. So even though this doesn't, you know, we're not really involved here, but, you know, there are, like Michael said, some counties who are worried about economic development and tourism, and they may go by themselves and testify on the impact uh, both of these bills could have on them, but the the this turning into tentacles and holding up the budget or being the centerpiece here that does have an yep. indirect effect on everybody. Right. So I think it's very relevant. So as far as watching today, ordinarily Fridays are real quick. This hearing is going to start at one o'clock. Um, they're going to be going well past well past Miller time, I'm sure. Miller time. Yeah, I got it. Very good. And very the, good. Hey, in the Maryland Senate, it's always Miller. It's time. It's always Miller time. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's it's Miller time. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed. If you do, please give us a like. It uh, helps us. Go to iTunes, subscribe. You can always listen on our blog on the website. Let your friends know we're trying to uh, to grow this podcast and um, and reach more of our members and let you know what's going on here in Annapolis. Until next week, Michael and Kevin signing off. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.